Good morning again. Today we are carrying on in our series through the book of Luke. So if you are visiting with us, you have missed a bit, but we're only in Luke 9. So we have a long ways to go, and we're so glad that you're here to join us for this installment. And this today is one of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever performed, the feeding of the 5,000. If you've grown up in church, you probably know this one. You've probably heard it a few times. I know I have. I've preached on it before. I've taught it before. And to be perfectly honest, I had a, just honest, a tiny little bit of an inward groan when I saw that this was my text today. Because it's so familiar. It, it feels almost cliche sometimes. And what can I even say about it that is going to be something new and fresh for you today? But I, I got over myself because sometimes I realized when we think we know something so well, we've actually forgotten or missed some important details. We may remember the main event that Jesus made a little bit of bread and just a few fish feed a big crowd. But we may not remember much else. And that's what I discovered as I was uh, conveniently forced to study this passage this week. There were some important details in there that I had never thought about before. And so to prove my point, I decided to do a little experiment. And so I asked six very brave people from our congregation to tell me the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in as much detail as they could remember. And you need to know that I didn't give them the chance to look it up or read it. I didn't even tell them what story I was going to ask them to tell me before I turned on the video camera. Okay, so they really were brave people. And before we hear our scripture reading, let's hear what they had to say. Ferris, can you tell me the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? Oh, just the other day. Okay, so um, Jesus and there was a bunch of people following him. Jesus was on a journey with his disciples. Um, I think it's when they were traveling, like the disciples and another group of people. He finds himself with his disciples and 5,000 people. And there were 5,000 men. Oh no, I think, yeah, something like that. 5,000 men, probably like a bunch more other family children. 5,000 of his followers who wanted to hear him preach and um, learn more about the kingdom of heaven. They were in a field the side of a hill. I think he was by the beach, coming off the, the boats. And he comes to a big place where there's 5,000 people. Um, I think they were listening to him preach and the day is getting on and they didn't have food. Everybody was hungry. The disciples particularly are worried that they don't have anything to feed the people. They said, hey, we don't have any food. They didn't have very much, so the I think the disciples were saying that we need to go back and find food and... How? That's like a million dollars or something like that. How we can't feed them. And Jesus said, where's your faith? But Jesus had a better plan in mind and he asked a little boy who had um, five loaves of bread. <laughs> I should know this, and three fish. This kid has five loaves and two fish. And they had like a few fish or like one fish to feed everybody. And there was also bread. And then she's like, perfect, okay. He like prayed. And then Jesus came and he like multiplied it. And there was like, I don't know, like 500 fish to feed everybody. Um, was able to break 
the bread and the fish. And he passes it about amongst the people. Told them to distribute the, the food, loaves and fish. They shared it among each other. Um, so he just fed everybody. <laughs> In amazing ways, it is sufficient. And it ended up to be enough. Until everyone has enough. And feed 5,000 people. They collected leftovers and there was like 12 basketfuls. And they are able to not only feed the people, but pick up the leftovers. And they have leftovers for supper the next night. And that was that. I, that's what I remember. Jesus feeds the 5,000. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I was so proud of, so proud of these people. Ferris, George, John, Emily, Chloe, and Haley. Thank you guys for having the courage to uh, put yourselves out there and try your best to tell this story. And then at the end there, you could hear the audio of my daughter Anna reading it. And I think we may have missed the beginning part of Luke 9. It wasn't the whole uh, scripture that was read, but you have it in your Bibles. There's Bibles in the pew in front of you or on your phone. You can look it up and follow along. We're in Luke 9, verses 10 to 17 today. So I think even though all of these people were able to do such a great job under pressure of telling the basic plot of this story... Um, there are some things that they missed. And I hope that this video will remind you that it might stick in your mind to remember that we don't always know everything we think we know. Um, we may forget the key elements of a story, even if we've heard it a hundred times. Our memories are just not actually that good. And even if we've memorized a story, because God's word is alive and active, there's always some new insight that God can give us. So we shouldn't skip over the familiar stories, whether in our preaching, as I've learned, or in our own devotional reading at home. Don't skip the stuff you think you know. You might be surprised. So today I'd like to look at the story of feeding the 5,000 from the point of view of the disciples and see if we can learn something about how we ought to respond when Jesus wants us to help someone in need. Because I think he still wants us to help people in need. And he still often calls us to do things that we don't think we have the resources to do. So in my opinion, the disciples have two main problems in this story. First of all, the obvious one, they can't provide food for all the people who have come to hear Jesus. But there's a second problem, and it's much less obvious. They don't actually want 
to provide food for all the people who have come to hear Jesus. So they can't do it. That's just a logistical problem. They're in an isolated place. They physically don't have enough bread or enough money to buy it or enough time to bake it, even if they had all the ingredients, which they don't. So this is a legitimately worrying problem. No food, no money, no time, and a whole lot of hungry people. But they don't want to do it. That's an attitude problem. That's a heart problem. They want Jesus to send the people away. Did you notice that? Verse 12, they come and they say to him, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. I found it very interesting that none of the people that I interviewed remembered that statement. They remembered that the disciples were worried about the problem of feeding everyone, but they didn't remember the disciples' proposed solution, which was that Jesus would simply send everyone away. So basically, the disciples were saying, Jesus, can you please make these people someone else's problem and not ours? We don't want to deal with these people's needs. We have our own supper to worry about, and if we don't even have enough for ourselves, why should we worry about feeding everyone else? But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So these people are not somebody else's problem. They're your problem. What are you going to do about it? And if we look in the Gospel of John at this story, we're told that Jesus was testing them. And this is a good reminder to us that whenever we read a story in the Gospels, we should check to see if it's recorded anywhere else. So most of the stories that you read in Mark are also found in Matthew and Luke. John usually does his own thing. He's a little different. But he does tell this this story of the feeding of the 5,000. And so if you're taking notes and you want to look up the other versions of this story later, it's in Matthew 14, in Mark 6, and in John 6, as well as here in Luke 9. And I do encourage you to do that. Look them up and consider the different points of view. Luke just gives us a very bare facts sort of version. But if we go and look at how Mark tells it, we might get a better sense of how freaked out the disciples were by Jesus' test. So in Mark 37, Jesus says the same thing. You give them something to eat. And the disciples said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So Ferris portrayed this really well in the video. That would be like a million dollars. They, were, they, were, they thought Jesus was crazy. And we can understand why, because if we put it in today's terms, let's say you earn $50,000 a year, would you take $25,000 and spend it on one dinner for a bunch of strangers? Not likely. But Jesus says sending the people away is not an option. These people came to meet with Jesus, And Jesus has made it clear that the disciples must help meet their needs. Now, I wonder how much time actually passed between when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, and when they actually had them sit down in groups. How long did he let the disciples fret over this and worry and try to figure out a plan? We know that it was at least long enough for them to go around through the crowd and ask if anyone had any food. Because they did find a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And they essentially confiscated it. Because Mark doesn't, pardon me, Luke doesn't even mention the boy. He's only mentioned in John. In Luke, they just come to Jesus and they said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus tells them to get everyone seated in groups of 50. 
This doesn't really answer their problem, right? This is kind of a question, like, this is all we have, Jesus, so what you're asking us to do is impossible. He doesn't really respond to that. He says, tell them, sit, tell them all to sit down. And this doesn't make any sense. The disciples are probably thinking, what good is this going to do? How is counting the people and having them sit going to make their dinner magically appear? But they did what he said. They obeyed Jesus' command. And then he takes the food, and he gives thanks, and he hands them back their bread, their fish, and they hand it out to the people. And somehow, we're not told how, but somehow it just keeps on coming. And I think this this part is really important, that Jesus blesses the food and gives it to them, and their job is to pass on what he's given to them. That's a pretty good um, definition of ministry, I think, just passing on what Jesus has given to us. Because on our own, we don't have anything to give. We depend entirely on Jesus' provision. And I wish we were told what the reaction of the crowd was. Did all those people, all those 5,000 men and all the women and all the children, did they know that they had just experienced a miracle? Or did they think somebody came really well prepared? There was a food truck on the other street there, baking, baking bread. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they all knew. And I wonder if any of them actually came and thanked Jesus personally. We're not told. All we know is that they all ate, and they apparently had enough to eat because there were leftovers, 12 baskets full. Whether they took them home for supper the next night, I don't know, George, but uh, he thought that would be the logical thing to do. And... Um, So it feels a bit unfinished. There's some details we would like to know that aren't there. And I think that's on purpose. Because the climax of this story actually happens a little later on in Luke 9. The next section where Jesus says to his disciples, Who do you say I am? This miracle that he has done of feeding people with bread is supposed to remind them. It's supposed to trigger a memory of reading somewhere about God feeding his people manna in the desert. And they're supposed to be wondering about Jesus' connection with God, about his identity. Because who else but God can do something like this? But I think the story, if we come back to just what we're told in this few verses, I think it teaches us something about how we are to respond to people in need. The disciple paint a very accurate picture, I think, of how we often respond. And by their example, they can teach us how to do better. These poor disciples, you know, they they mess up so many times and we get to learn from their mistakes. So this is why we have to be willing sometimes to tell about our own mistakes in our lives, to help other people learn from what we've done wrong as well. So first of all, when we encounter someone who's in serious need, we often want to be like the disciples and make them someone else's problem. So for example... Think with me, imagine with me, what we might do if a couple of homeless men came into our church. I would hope that we would welcome them and have compassion on them, that we would ask how we could help. But in the end, what would we do? We would probably refer them to a shelter, to the food bank, to employment services, We might spend a few hours with them, getting them some help elsewhere. But in the end, we would 
Make them someone else's problem. And this would be true of many different kinds of people in our community who might come to us for help. For example, the severely mentally ill, or those with a criminal record, those who are addicted to drugs, victims of abuse. Those people who are the most broken and the most needy, we would most likely pass off after a short time to government programs or services or charitable organizations who have the skills and the training and the resources to meet their needs. And I get that. I've done that. I understand why we do that. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Maybe in some cases that is all we can do. Maybe it's the best thing we can do. But what I am saying is we need to examine our hearts first. We need to ask ourselves some really hard questions. Do we ever have the same attitude as the disciples, whose very reasonable solution was to send the hungry people somewhere else? So if our first reaction to someone who comes to us in need is to think, Jesus, please send them away, then we need a serious attitude adjustment. Or maybe we pray it before they're even here. Jesus, please don't send us so-and-so, a person like that. What is our response to someone in desperate need? Do we have Jesus' compassion, or are we more concerned about what it will cost us in terms of time and money and inconvenience? And unfortunately, the more people we try to help the more we can become cynical and hardened to people in need. We get compassion fatigue. Have you heard that term before? When you've given and you've given and you've given and the needs just keep coming and you feel like, oh, I can't even do it anymore. I think it's often the most loving and most helpful people who end up praying these prayers. Jesus, please send them away because they're burnt out. And so we all have to watch ourselves carefully. Jesus teaches the disciples through the feeding of the 5,000 that we, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be his disciples, then we don't get to make people someone else's problem. We represent Jesus now. And Jesus once said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And that's in John 6, by the way, the other, one of the other passages that tells about the feeding of the 5,000. And then afterwards, he talks about, I am the bread of life. And that's where he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So if someone comes to us for help, and you need to keep in mind that we as the church are Jesus' body on earth, right? We, we say the body of Christ, but we don't necessarily know what that means. If we are his hands and feet here on earth, then we are to love people and share their burdens and meet their needs just as Jesus would. Their problems are our problems. So no matter what other people we may need to consult for their expertise, it's ultimately our responsibility to serve them and to help them and support them. Jesus never turned away a single person who asked him for help. You can check in the Gospels. He didn't necessarily help everyone he could have. There were often times when he had to leave a town or a region before everyone had the chance to see him. But every single time he interacted with a needy person, he helped them. 
And I don't know if we can say the same of those who come to the church for help. So this is my first point, that the disciples' example teaches us we need to adjust our heart attitude towards those in need, to take on that responsibility of being the hands and feet of Christ to them. Secondly, and this one also hit me pretty hard, their example teaches us that we are not accurate judges of our resources. We are constantly telling ourselves a story of scarcity, which means we're constantly telling ourselves, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I'm I'm not good enough. There isn't enough. This is impossible. So the disciples came and they said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. That was all they could see. And of course, that is a ridiculously inadequate amount of food to feed 5,000 people. It wouldn't even feed us at our potluck in a couple of weeks. It would barely even feed my own family of six, depending on the size of the bread. I'm imagining they were kind of small. But they forgot a huge, huge, huge resource that they had. They forgot to consider Jesus as a resource. It is astonishing to me that not, none of them said, well, hey guys, you know, we only have a tiny bit of food, but Jesus told the wind and the waves to be quiet the other day, and he uh, cast out a legion of demons from that guy on the other side of the lake, and, you know, he raised Jairus' daughter back to life, so he can probably help us with this. Why don't we ask him? Not one of them said that. Not one of them thought to say, Jesus, we can't feed them, but you can. Please help us. They failed the test that Jesus gave them. But he provided for them anyways. And this is the amazing thing to me. He did what they couldn't do, even though they didn't think to ask him. And it's unclear on whether anybody thanked him. The kindness and the patience and the compassion of our God are so far beyond our understanding. And he didn't go around telling them they'd failed the test either. He just did it. He just provided. So how often do we forget to consider Jesus in our calculations of whether we have enough? How often do we think someone else is better equipped to handle this person's need? A doctor, a counselor, a social worker. Forgetting that the God of the universe indwells us by his Holy Spirit, and he has put all of Jesus' authority and power at our disposal. So as the body of Christ on earth, we have more resources than anyone if we could only just believe that. We have Jesus. Now, does that mean that we never need doctors or counselors or social workers? No, I'm not saying that. Of course not. They have valuable knowledge and skills that God uses to help people. But when we see a need, our first response should not be, Oh no, I don't have what it takes to help. Our response should be compassion and sharing their burden, as we already talked about. And then ask Jesus for help. To go to him and say, I can't meet this need. I don't know what to do. Show me how to help. Show me how to find the help that I need to to serve this person well and to love them and to walk with them through the journey of getting them the help that they need, not just to pass them on as someone else's problem. 
So if we could remember this, if we could remember that when we see a need and we think, ah, what am I going to do? I can't help. We go to Jesus first. We don't do a single thing before we ask for his help and his guidance. And who knows what kinds of miracles we may see then. We don't have because we don't ask. Jesus said that once to his disciples. And he also said, with God, all things are possible. He can use even us, just ordinary little old us, and whatever we have to meet someone's need. But we need our eyes to be opened. We need to understand the resources that we actually have in Christ. We don't get it. We need to stop telling ourselves that we don't have enough, that we're not rich enough, that we're not smart enough, that we're not strong enough, that we're not healthy enough. And we need to be reminded that we have more than we could possibly ask for or imagine in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, it tells us in Ephesians. So this reminds me of a story from the Old Testament. I hope that soon we'll get into preaching from the Old Testament, because we haven't been there in a while. I hope you're reading it at home, because there are some awesome stories in there. So in 2 Kings, the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and he hated the prophet Elisha, because Elisha was getting messages from the Lord about what the king of Aram was planning to do. And of course, he would tell the king of Israel, and so the king of Aram could never win. So he finds out that Elisha is hiding in the city of Dothan, and he sends his army there at night to surround the city and capture Elisha when he comes out in the morning. So this is in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God, so that's the servant of the prophet Elisha, When he got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I imagine if we could have our eyes opened like that to see the angels of God around us worshiping when we worship and God bending his ear towards us when we pray and the forces, the powers, the spiritual authorities that we can't even comprehend and don't know about that he puts in motion when we pray. Our minds would be blown. Like We need to understand what God will do for his children and the the power that we can access through prayer because of Christ. It makes me all emotional, but (laughs) anyways, if we could just have our eyes opened like that, like this servant, if we could see Jesus' glory and understand his love and his power, then we wouldn't be telling ourselves that we don't have enough. That would be crazy talk. We wouldn't be saying, oh no, what do we do? Oh no, we don't have enough. We would say, ah, well, I'm just me. I don't have enough, but I know who does. I know who does. We would know that we could come to Jesus about anything, any need, anybody who needs help, and say, okay, Jesus, we need your help here. You love needy, broken, hungry, desperate people. We know you want to help, so show us how to help. Please give us what we need so that we can pass it on to them. 
And I'm convinced he will answer that prayer in one way or another. We need to ask for more faith. We need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that all of those resources in the spiritual realms are available to us because we are his children. Whatever our problem is, whatever need we want to help meet, he's enough. He is more than enough. So would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you open our eyes that we would see? Lord, may we no longer complain of not having enough when you have given us everything, your own life, and all of the power that we need to live as Christ did. You will supply our every need. You will provide. You told us this over and over in scripture, and yet we still don't get it. We still worry, and we still fret, and we still wonder, what are we going to do? Who will help us? Lord, remind us, when we are in need, when we see someone in need, to go to you and to say, Jesus, please help. We know that on our own, we can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. Pray this in Jesus' name, his powerful, matchless, wonderful, loving name. Amen.